0: Totally Football Show. Today, the Etihad. Quick city, slick six leaves Sarri sick, but did he make the worst picks since those ones of Jeff Bezos? The battle at the bottom. Look out. Seagull droppings and the Champions League. He's only human, but can Suns Power Spurs past Dortmund? All that in the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. In the Totally Clubhouse listener? Well, there's author Michael Cox. Hi, James. Hi, Michael. There's Northwest correspondent for the Premier League, Ian Irving. Hi, James. Hi, Ian. And Matt Davis Adams, who was all over uh, Man City for Chelsea for Chelsea TV. Hi, James. Awkward. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oops. Uh, Right. That one isn't it? That is a tough gig. So Mm. you were commentating for Chelsea TV, Matt. Certainly was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, This
1: is my eighth season. Did you make it? it? That That was the hardest. We did. I'm not sure many people listened along with us uh, until the end, to be be frank. But uh, we we gave it a a good go, which
0: um, right. So at least somebody did. The saddest thing was you didn't even get to use your top research fact, which you'd uncovered. Uh, Which one was that? David Silva. Oh, right. yeah. Yeah, I love that as well. Oh, no, I didn't. Shall I read it out? Uh, yeah, I do. His grandfather was a fisherman from South Korea who settled in the Canary Islands in the 1960s. Did you know that, Michael?
2: Weirdly, I did know that. I'm not sure why, but he's from the same fishing village as um, Juan Carlos Valeron, I believe.
1: Anyway. Oddly, that didn't make it into the commentary, which is yeah. unfortunate, but why right. not? Uh, maybe because he didn't start so I wasn't, I wasn't uh, he came on though it, I mean yeah. it would have
3: been an interesting talking point
0: we were
1: fishing for things to say absolutely I
3: tell you what
0: someone's nets were full and it was Chelsea's because <laughs> uh, six goals great line Thanks very much. Uh, That's, what, the worst... The first time they've ever shipped six goals in a league match? Since when? It's their worst defeat since they lost 7-0 at
1: two-time European champions Nottingham Forest back in 1991, so there was some some positivity.
3: They've actually equalled their worst ever margin of defeat and then bettered it in the space of a couple of weeks with that Bournemouth result and then the City result. It's extraordinary. That's how bad the last two away performances are. A lot of people commenting that
0: uh, that you've got that series of away performances, but also their last... Let me get this right, the last five results, they, they lose 2-0 to Arsenal, but then they win 3-0, but then they lose 4-0 to Bournemouth, but then they win 5-0 against Huddersfield, but then they lose 6-0 at City, which is going to mean some interesting things when they travel to Malmo. It mid, truly is. Midweek, yeah. seven goals away. Anyway, listen, let's talk then about events at the Etihad. And c- can we begin just by saying it's two months since Chelsea beat Man City 2-0, and were the first side to defeat Pep Guardiola's team. Michael, what happened?
2: Well, in fairness, even in that 2-0, they were battered for the first half hour or so and and they scored against the run of play. The strange thing here was I thought they actually started quite positively for all of three minutes, but they were taking the game to City. Even at 1-0 down, I thought, you know, they did a couple of interesting things. David Luiz played a great pass. Hazard looked, looked lively, but I mean, they fell apart. And I'm not sure that they fell apart really because of Sarri's tactics. I mean, you look at the first three goals. The first one was a ridiculous mix up from a set piece the second was an unstoppable agüero hit third one was Barkley's terrible header and even the fourth one i thought was wasn't really a great chance for gundogan it was it was poor goalkeeping mm. so they clearly fell apart after that but i'd be more concerned about the mentality and the focus of the players rather than the tactics because they were just inexplicable errors some of them
0: Really, but even that that early attempt to press without actually winning the ball back, all it did was just commit loads of players forward. And according to I think it was Gary Neville on commentary, upset City to the point in which they thought,
3: "All right, let's come out and teach these guys a lesson." They were just really basic, weren't they? The the errors from Chelsea, like you were saying there, Michael. I mean, the first three goals, you know, you blinked and City were three 0 up, but there were two sort of Sunday League goals and one Champions League goal with that that shot from Agüero. I mean, to to concentrate. That little and take that much care so early in a match away at Manchester City over that set piece when the, Alonso, the Marcus Alonso yeah era. just I mean he you can see on the replay that he's sort of calling I think to Hazard to, to cover it but doesn't even make sure that he does cover it. you know he just runs into the middle where's he going I had no idea what that was about uh, obviously there was that miss from Aguero as well which I'm sure we'll come on to in a moment considering his reaction to it but. You know Ross Barkley, the the lack of care over over that header back as well, and concentration, like you're saying, it's not. This is a really significant game for Chelsea as well, like it is for anyone going to Manchester City. You know, up there with Liverpool and Tottenham as 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 one of the best teams in the country at the moment. So especially at three nil as well, or even at two nil, for for those type of errors to still be being made, I mean that's quite an indictment, really. You were at the game, yeah, Uh, of course, with Aguero with
0: City, but particularly Aguero in this kind of form. Is there is there only so much that can be done? Do you think
3: it felt significant yesterday? It felt like more than just a, a victory over Chelsea. Um, we're talking at you know a time in the title race where you've, every single day you're analysing who's you know what pressures doing what and tensions doing this and whatever else and how crucial this game is and stuff like that and and City just turn up and do that yesterday and you know Aguero <laughs> for a striker to miss a chance like that you would have forgiven him then for sort of spending the next, I don't know, even 90 minutes wondering how he's missed it and it really to play on his mind. But to to answer so emphatically with that first strike and then to go on then and complete your hat-trick, even the penalty was just effortless, really. Uh, it's just a measure of the guy. I'm really glad that he's finally getting the, the correct uh, sort of recognition, really, because it, it does seem like he's been underappreciated in past seasons and finally now we are talking about him as one of the greatest foreign players that's ever played in the Premier League
0: yeah and so many records attesting to that that yeah
3: we're setting yesterday 11th Premier League
0: hat-trick bringing him level with Alan Shearer's now top of City's all-time league goal scorers Uh, also he's scored 28% of all Premier League hat-tricks against Chelsea <laughs> more than a quarter of all the Premier League hat tricks in Chelsea, he scored them. In the last eight days, Duncan Alexander, with this one, he scored as many Premier League home goals as Huddersfield have all season. He was great against Chelsea, wasn't he,
1: Matt? Yeah, he was. He scored more goals uh, than each of Brighton, Cardiff, Chelsea, Everton, Huddersfield, Newcastle, Southampton, Watford, and West Ham in 2019. Ooh. Which is combined pretty special. <laughs> not quite combined. Um, yeah, you know, I said last week he's a candidate for the best ever Premier League player. Maybe that's a bit of a stretch, but certainly for player of the year this season, you know, it's, it's much spoken about how he's only been in the team of the year once. But I'm not sure that the, the second was unsavable. I wonder if um, maybe Kepper, having got a hand to it, might feel he, he should have kept it out. Maybe that's a little bit harsh. But um, as Ian says, you can't... Question: The mentality of a player who misses a tap in and goes on to to take the match ball anyway. Once he'd got it off Mike Dean, <laughs> following his uh, his Jay which I'm sure we all enjoyed.
4: Yeah.
0: Um, beyond the goals, though, Michael, you're so thrilled about the way Aguero's come on. In other, he's added other dimensions to his game.
2: Yeah, I mean, people forget that when he first come to came to City, he played almost as a second striker number 10 always behind a big man and insisted that he kind of had to play in a four four two. and it was only under Pellegrini he became a lone striker and even then he was always going in behind he wasn't doing much in terms of build-up play whereas now his his link plays better his pressing's better I think his movement to the flanks to create space for Sterling and Sané when he plays is very good and yeah as I think I've said previously Guardiola is very good at improving players who are seemingly already at their peak teaching him new tactical concepts and taking him to the next level. And I think he's he's getting the praise now because he is a better player than he's ever been before. You know, obviously he was always a great goal scorer, but now he does more. Do you, but, you see
0: that same ability in Maurizio Sarri to bring the best out of players?
2: Well, he did a very similar thing with Mertens at Napoli. Yeah, that's true. We haven't necessarily seen that at Chelsea so far. I thought Higuain actually looked quite bright. There were a couple of nice links with Hazard. Wonderful back heel to Pedro that Pedro put the, the shot of the goalkeeper. So we'll have to wait and see. But obviously, uh, you have to say at the moment, there's more players who have gone backwards under Sarri.
1: Yeah, I think that one of the most damning things for Sarri in this match is that for the first time in a long time, he had a free week to prepare for it and the opposition didn't. They played on Wednesday night uh, and it made no difference. So I've heard... A story that these long lunches that Sarri, Pep and Narigo Sacchi enjoy every summer in Italy. But part of the conversation this summer was um, Guardiola saying you want a core of 14, 15 players because you're trying to, you know, import, impart this new methodology on them. And if you do it with too many players, they won't all get it, etc. and so on. So you need to use a small squad. Um, and I think that's coming back to bite, Sarri, in, in particular with the defence, which badly needs refreshing. Um, you talking about four international players yesterday who look like schoolboys who'd never met each other. And you think last season, Andreas Christensen was Chelsea's best defender by quite a long way. He's played two Premier League games this season. Cesar Espelicueta, who one-on-one's been the best defender in the Premier League for the last few seasons. He started 124 of the last 125 Premier League games. He was torn apart by Raheem Sterling yesterday and he looks absolutely shattered. Marcus Alonso, I know he was playing a different position last season, but he looks a different player. Uh, Emerson made one start against Bournemouth. They lost that game 4-0. He was the scapegoat for that, essentially, straight out again. That'll probably be different against Malmo in midweek because he's played an entirely different team pretty much in the Europa League. But there's got to be a case
0: for freshening up the defence. Michael, you pin the the blame, if you like, for this defeat very much on the players rather than than, than Sally. But what about uh, Jamie Carragher's uh, famous charge on Sunday that he's effectively turned Chelsea into Arsenal?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, blaming the players doesn't absolve the manager. I just think, it's as much about mentality as about tactics. I mean, when Terry came out a few weeks ago, and he's done it twice and said that he doesn't know how to motivate the players. Hmm. I just thought that was the end of it, really. I mean, maybe not... Well, obviously not literally that weekend, but I'm not sure how you can get the players back on board. One, if you're not able to motivate them. And two, if you come out and almost throw them under the bus and say, I can't get these guys to be interested. I just think it's pointing to the tactical things, I think is sometimes overlooking the, sure. the main problems.
0: Okay, what's the mood... You'd probably not been back to Cobham since. No, but it'll be very flat.
1: I mean, as we spoke about last week, they've got this massive month, so things could turn around. You know, they have beaten City, as you said, already earlier this season. They beat them in the Cup final. Um, That'll be that'll make it easier to take yesterday's defeat. They beat Man United in the FA Cup last uh, next week, but you've got to say that's not too likely to happen. I think this thing about blaming the players, which is um, a trope that's used against Chelsea probably for for over a decade now and there's some credence to that. I'm not sure how well that stacks up with this current squad, Um, you know, with people like Kepa who's new to the team this season, Tony Rudiger who's, who's only in
0: his second season and Golo Kante who's just not that Kind of it, it, person, it, anyway. It is a team that's been kind of downgraded in every single position across the field now in recent years. It um, does feel yeah. like that, doesn't
3: it? I mean, the goalkeeper's not as good as the one before. The centre half pairing's not as good as the ones the before. Centre
0: forwards not as good.
3: Higuain may be an answer to that, but certainly Murata, Giroud not as good as, as Diego Costa. Mm. Uh, already with Pulisic coming in, if that if that's you know that's the end of Hazard, then that's that's a downgrade as well. Uh, and they've spent a lot of money a lot of money on on players that aren't even in that team and some of them not even in the squad you know and h- how wisely has that fortune been spent really it doesn't look to me like that's a that's a squad that's taking steps forward at the moment how long do you give Maurizio sarri right um, if things don't turn around with these games this
1: month, then I would think he'd be out at the end of this month. But the, the thing that he's got hugely in his favour is the lack of viable alternatives at the moment. You know, you think back to when um, AVB uh, got the chop and they had Roberto Di Matteo as his assistant, easy to bring him in. They can't do that now with um, Gianfranco Zola because right. his managerial record is, is not good. So maybe on that basis he gets until the end of the season but as I say these games Europa League they should beat Malmo because Malmo haven't started their season yet Uh, Man United looks a really tough game in the FA Cup next week Um, Mm. and then the cup final you know if they win the cup final that helps if they lose it's 6-0 you're not coming back from but that.
2: In, in fairness, Di Matteo's record wasn't great, was it? I mean, he'd been sacked midway through a relegation campaign with West Brom and it seemed to work out. So maybe they'll just go for that gamble again. But
0: yeah, they had Di Matteo back, do you think?
2: <laughs> well, maybe, yeah. Because the they
0: moment, had the characters I,
1: then, didn't they? They had Petr Cech, they had Didier Drogba, they had John Terry, right. they had Frank Lampard. Different makeup of the squad this time. Yeah,
3: but do do the, they not need to just be a bit more patient? I, I know it's worked so well for Chelsea in recent years, but bringing in a manager like Sarri, you know, you know what you're getting. You know that. He plays a very particular way. You know that he's going to need time to install that. Right. I know the start to the season was fantastic and it looked like he'd made an impact straight away, but we had this with Guardiola at City as well. He had an incredible start in English football and then it, it started to go wrong. Maybe their position was different, You know, maybe the expectation was slightly different and maybe the track record was different as well, but you sort of have to understand that if he's going to play a very, very particular way and insist on sticking to that, I mean... Yeah. I don't want to go on about it because it's been spoken about to death, but to, to stick with Jorginho in that role when you've but got the, the thing, best the defensive midfield in front of him. But if you're going to stick
0: with Candy and it overrun like they were, it just boggles the mind. <laughs> yeah. And I know that there's a reason why he does that, but at a certain point, you, you just think even the players might feel, do we have to?
3: Well, Can not we just have one day when we. Well, they probably do, but you know, if he's going to stick to that and be so, just to finish the point from a moment ago, then surely you, you have to give him the time to be able to install those qualities, right. those principles, in my opinion. Mm. Otherwise, what's
1: the point of appointing someone like Sarri? But, but there's two big differences between Sarri and Guardiola. One is that Guardiola, even to some degree, not massively, showed some pragmatism in his first season and adapted ever so slightly the way the team played. The other is he came into the City job, uh, A, with two people above him who had been appointed, essentially, to get him in, and B, he'd won six league titles and two Champions League by that 100 percent, yeah, 100%, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, totally. All right.
3: All right. But still, he's you know he's very, he's very, very particular, isn't he? We knew that before he'd even arrived at Chelsea, and we've seen that throughout this season as well. Perhaps you make a decision now and say, well, his particular is not our particular, but yeah, yeah. Right. Two nil,
0: three nil, four nil, five nil, six nil. Those last five score lines. So it's going to be an interesting night. Thursday, as they travel to Malmo. Uwe Rosler's Malmo, so another Man City link there, yeah. Excellent. All right, well, before that, there's Champions League, of course, which we'll be discussing very shortly. Raphael Honigstein popping in. And also, got to catch up on what Liverpool and Spurs did. Man City's title rivals
5: up after this. You're listening to the Totally Furble Show in association with Paddy Power. That game at the Etihad Sunday, it's spilling over
0: into part two lists. Now, here Mm. comes Matt with a, a stat... That's just blown my mind. Matt, lay it on me again.
1: Yeah, so since Chelsea last scored an away goal, Where which was, was Angolo Kante back end of December at Crystal Palace. So, right, so since then they haven't scored an away goal. Yeah, and since that time, Manchester City, home and away, have scored 45 goals. Wow.
3: It's incredible. It's six hours, over six hours, six hours and 39 minutes since Chelsea last scored an away goal. My word. And, of course, that goal
0: difference now means that they've dropped out of the of the top four although it's pretty tight they're behind Arsenal on the number of goals scored Arsenal moving into fifth with Man United fourth we'll discuss their results very shortly but at the top level pegging in terms of points with Man City are Liverpool it'll be Bournemouth 3-0 nice to see Wijnaldum back scoring that lovely goal
2: who'd have thought he'd be so key Liverpool certainly seems that way doesn't it Mm. I thought it was a really interesting goal not just for the finish which was lovely Mm. but for what happened in the build up the two things that happened one Jordan Ibe got the ball for Bournemouth and he was immediately boxed in by three players Mane, uh, Keiter and Robertson and it was very classic club one won the ball one got the loose ball and the other did the damage with the passing behind the second thing that was interesting was you think how did Wijnaldum get that much space and it's because Firmino was playing as a false nine who made a movement towards the ball, dragged one of the Bournemouth centre-backs up the pitch and that created the space. Right. And I think they're the two things that Klopp's, you know, they're the two main features of Klopp's Liverpool, the pressing and the false nine. It was kind of a, a goal that summarised them perfectly. That's uh, actually it's,
3: something we've not seen much of this season ever, actually, for Liverpool. You know, that, that's been such a, a hallmark of, of Klopp's Liverpool, you know, in past seasons. But this season, that type of goal, that type of movement, you know, the pressing movement, three players committed right up the pitch. Um, we've not seen as much of that. We've still seen it, but just not as much as previous years.
0: Right, and there was more of that Firmino false nine-esque uh, interplay in the build-up to the Salah goal with that back heel as well. Man City-esque yeah. almost.
2: Yeah, they've got a lovely relationship. I like Firmino. I think he's had a... A difficult few weeks. I thought he was particularly poor against West Ham, actually, for Mina, with his link play. But he's great because he's he's clearly a very selfless player, naturally, a number 10 who's used to setting up players. And he's become a kind of more prolific goalscorer without losing that, you know, link play. Although that said, he should have squared to Van Dijk for that chance running through. So maybe he does feel the pressure of a, a striker and, and having to get on the score sheet once in a while. Mm, Bournemouth, eight defeats in a row. On the road, oh dear. I mean, it was a perfect opponent for Liverpool. I mean, after the two draws, had they been against a counter attacking, deep defensive side like Crystal Palace or Leicester or Burnley, you would have feared for them. But Bournemouth do have this habit of, um, you know, going to big clubs wanting to play football and just leaving themselves exposed at the back.
0: Anyway, all right, also getting a win Spurs at home to Leicester. Uh, all sorts of excitement over Bar- Vardy being left out, then Vardy being brought on to take a penalty, which Vardy then <laughs> didn't score with, and he did then score, but it was another goal from San and a great goal from Eriksson and Sanchez, and three points for Spurs.
2: Yeah, I thought well, I thought they got quite lucky actually. I thought Le- Leicester were the better team for long periods here. I thought Yuri Tielemans making his debut in the centre midfield was magnificent. Gives them something they haven't had before with that, you know, ambition in possession. I guess he, he played some wonderful passes. Had a fantastic Roberto Carlos-esque effort from the, the left byline where he tried to swerve it in, which I kind of think, I could be wrong, but that was with about two seconds to go of first half stoppage time. And I kind of thought he thought, well, there's no point playing a backwards pass as I should do. here. might as well just shoot and go for it and nearly scored. Leicester created far more chances um, and Tottenham, yeah, quite fortunate win, really.
0: There you go. They remain five points behind the leading pair, but a healthy nine ahead of... Manchester United, who are in Champions League action. Excitingly, the last 16 is upon us in Europe's Premier Cup competition. Uh, some humdingers for us this week in uh, Roma Porto, Obvs. Uh, Spurs taking on Dortmund. Ajax against a Real Madrid team fresh from a big win over Atletico Madrid in their derby. And also Man United against PSG, which I'm going to say is probably probably the big one. We'll do that in a bit. First, let's address Spurs against Borussia Dortmund with our very special guest, Raphael Honigstein. Thanks for joining us, Raphael oh, Honigstein.
4: Very welcome, you are, James.
0: That's good news. I'm excited, Raphael, about the return of the Champions League this week. It's the last 16. Among the many clashes, there's Spurs taking on Dortmund. Can Spurs beat the best team of the Bundesliga or is the Champions
4: League just for egos? Mm, yeah, Um I think Pochettino probably excluded the Champions League trophy when he was a little bit disbadging about cups. But Dortmund, when the draw came out, felt, oh, this is kind of a 50-50 shot. Spurs were really good. They knocked us out of the competition last year. Um, we were we were quite poor then. But this is a very different Dortmund team. Um, they've made lots of changes. They have much more balance. They have a different coach. They have really a different spine, if you will. With Spurs having one or two People possibly out still. That's the latest. I think that Harry Kane and Deli Ali probably will not be back. Mm. I, I don't quite buy this. Uh, the stories that they made might make some kind of rapid recovery. I think it might have just shifted a little bit towards Dortmund over okay. the two legs. I, I make them favourites to just about squeeze through.
0: Although Saturday was not a good day for Dortmund, involved in a, a high-scoring Bundesliga clash with Hoffenheim, in which they took a three-nil lead and then ended up drawing 3-3 and this was after the cup game against Werder Bremen where they'd been ahead a couple of times and ended up going out on penalties and Marco Royce went out injured is he going to be
4: out he has of course had many little injury problems before so um, we'll have to see what kind of update we get when they travel okay. uh, to London tomorrow but you're right I mean it wasn't a great week for Dortmund getting dumped out of the cup only in inverted commas uh, drawing 3-3 against Hoffenheim after looking home and dry and having a chance to score four or five goals even mm. in that game. Jaden Sancho had an unbelievably good game. The context of the season, though, I think the cup isn't all that important to them. I think they'd be okay with not going through. The draw against Hoffenheim, I think, will come down to sort of, is that the game? Is that the two points that we might really regret? further down the line right um, still by, five points yeah still five points but it was a needless um, needless result really because their dominance had been total and the second half they took their foot off the gas Lucien Favre their manager wasn't there he was watching from home being sick with flu maybe that was uh, an issue who knows it certainly didn't help them I think Lucien uh, fever yeah mm. yeah <laughs> uh, so it wasn't the ideal preparation going into this game but what it did show us yep. is, OK, um, they were a little bit lackadaisical at the back and made one or two concentration errors that really cost them. But going forward, they create so many chances.
0: But it's those late, what, three goals conceded in the last 15 minutes and we all know how spurs are with the late goals. So this was a Borussia Dortmund team who absolutely tore up most of their group stage matches, that 4-0 in particular against Atletico Madrid. In, in summary, have they lost a little bit of their shine since then?
4: I wouldn't say so. No, I think they they're still just as good going forward, just as exciting. I mean, Jaden Santo, we just mentioned him briefly there, but he, for example, has only improved since then. Uh-huh. Uh, Marco Royce has has improved. He scores a lot of goals. Mario Götze's comeback. You know, here's a name that for the first couple of months he didn't feature at all. Lucien Favre just didn't like him and had to feel the question about Mario Götze every single game why is Marietta not playing now he's playing playing really well keeping Paco Alcaso on the bench so I think Dortmund have, have tremendous depth up front uh, right now, more than Spurs. Uh, Spurs have perhaps that little bit of extra sort of um, kind of street knowledge, maybe that this Dortmund team at times being still a little bit young, especially at the back where you have now Julian Weigel, Moonlighting as a centre-back is not his ideal position, maybe lack a little bit. But I, I just think that Dortmund has, should have enough. Um, it'll be a close game, it'll be really exciting, but I think Dortmund might just squeeze through.
0: Rafa, one last question. How do you say lackadaisical in German?
4: Well, I'd probably translate it as schlafmützig, which is a nice word. It's the adjective for wearing a hat for sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> Schlaf- you play as if you have your sleeping hat on.
0: Yes, yes. Yeah. Like with your slippers or your flip-flops. Yeah. Right.
5: Excellent. Thanks, Rafa, for that. And You're so very much welcome.
4: More. I'm happy I came in for that.
5: Listeners, as you know, the Totally Football Show is the proud sponsor of Melchester Rovers, the team of Roy Race, aka Roy the Rovers. Roy's been rebooted for a new generation of readers, and he's now a 16-year-old superstar in waiting who's broken through into League Two Melchester's first team. Our hero Roy's got it all. The skill, the talent, and the eyes of the sporting world upon him. Except, of course, there's more to life than football. His dad's in a wheelchair and needs looking after, his mum's working all hours, and what about his sister? Well, his sister wants to play football too, and she won't leave Roy alone until he helps her do something about it. Foul play and teamwork are the perfect gift for football-mad kids or grown-ups who remember the good old days. Pick up your copy everywhere you buy books, including Amazon, Waterstones and Sainsbury's, and find out more at roytheroversofficial.com.
0: Now, before any of that, on Tuesday, Man United take on Paris Saint-Germain. Man United in, as you know, fresh from a 3-0 win at Craven Cottage, which moved them into the top four. Do you remember when Jose Mourinho said it would take a miracle for them to get into the top four? Yeah, he's right. The miracle's happened, hasn't the it? The miracle has happened. Yeah. And uh, made Fulham look ever more likely to be part of the bottom three come the end of the season. Great, uh, A great goal from uh, Anthony Martial. It was a great goal, but the defending was absolutely oh, rotten. Really? I mean, Le Marchand,
1: he's just dreadful. pogbas I like Pogba's goal better, actually, that la- lashing Pogba... Oh. Eight goals, six assists in nine Premier League games under Solskjaer and I liked his little dig at Mourinho in his post-match uh, where he was asked what's what's the difference between Solskjaer and Mourinho essentially and uh, with Solskjaer he said, it's his joy, he's not acting.
2: Mm.
0: All right, well next up then it is Paris Saint-Germain at Old Trafford. Are people excited, Ian Irving?
3: Yeah, it's the biggest Champions League tie that's been at Old Trafford for five years. Uh, the last time there was this sort of excitement before a game, Um, You've probably got to go back to David Moyes' time in charge, unbelievably, um, a quarter-final tie with Bayern Munich back then. Uh, And since then, there's not really been anything uh, of note for United in the Champions League. Obviously, they had that run to the Europa League final and winning it, but the type of opposition that they're going to face, the quality of the opposition, there's not been anything like this. And Old Trafford will definitely be up for it. You You can't say that every single game in terms of the atmosphere there, but I think it will be a factor for them. I think, actually, it's usually a disadvantage playing at home um, at first but actually I think this time around it's probably an advantage given the injury problems for PSG and also given the incredible form of United of late let's
0: hear about those injury problems so uh, Neymar's out and their their form does seem to have taken a bit of a knock since uh, his knee problems with yeah. that defeat to Lyon and a really shaky performance against the third division side that they needed extra time to get past in the cup uh, they
3: had a win at the weekend but Cavani goes off in that one 1-0 uh, yeah. against Bordeaux It came at a cost, yeah, taking the penalty actually he, he damaged a tendon in his hip now they're not definitely sure that he's going to be out uh, we'll probably find out later on today when, when Tuchel holds his, his press conference at Old Trafford ahead of the match but he's a, a severe doubt for, for PSG also, Verratti's only just come back from an ankle injury. He's been missing for a few weeks and only managed about an hour in that Bordeaux game. And Minier as well concussed, so it looks like he'll also be missing for the Manchester oh, wow. United game. So it really is adding up for them. And it actually brings the intriguing prospect of Eric Choupo-Moting starting the match. Uh-huh. Uh, at Old Trafford and and but and also potentially Angel Di Maria being
0: being uh, playing back at, at at a club where he didn't have the best of times.
3: No, it almost guarantees that Di Maria will start the game, and it would be fascinating to see him back at Old Trafford. Of course, one of the occupiers of that cursed number seven shirt in recent years, he started off incredibly. I remember speaking to Darren Fletcher back at the time, uh, and he said, "You know, the players were almost awestruck by how." good he was in training uh, and he basically got Louis van Gaal by the sound of it um, mm. all the good things he was doing uh, he, he was told not to he got used in a number of different positions um, very high profile mention um, that everyone seemed to refer to at the time of it of being a break-in at his house I understand that was overplayed in terms of the, the impact that actually had on his unhappy spell in Manchester but yeah it'd be intriguing to see what sort of form he's, like, he's in and how his attitude is going back to Old Trafford Right it might be Di
0: Maria and Schopenhouting and Mbappé as opposed to Kavain Neymar and Mbappé. But do you still worry for Smalling and Jones?
2: A little bit, yeah, against Mbappé. I think uh, I think he's a major threat. I think the Mounier thing could be quite big as well because at the weekend, uh, PSG actually played Dani Alves as a central midfield. Hmm. So they won't be able to do that if he's uh, needed at right-back. So they've just got injury problems all over the shop, PSG. They're, they're quite shambolic at the moment.
3: I don't think it's sure that Jones and Smalling will start this game either. We need to, we need to find out a little bit more about Lindelof just yet. Right. But- but he's not definitely out of the match. Certainly. Okay,
0: Parry, uh, you were mentioned before Ian, uh, gutted that th- the way that things have turned out since when they had the draw, when they were probably quite happy about about getting Man United.
3: Yeah, I'm struggling to remember a turnaround um, from when the draw was made back in 2018 to now. Uh, I'm sure PSG at the time were actually not too upset to draw. Manchester United, and now I think they'll be quite upset to be facing a Manchester United team who are a completely different proposition for them now than they were when the draw was made. Yeah, and it's symbolic almost of that, Martial's form. Probably played his way into the team, Anthony Martial. I think think in terms of the team selection at Fulham, it looked like maybe Alexis Sanchez was being saved for Tuesday, but it looks like Martial may have played his way into it now.
0: Okay. well, PSG's last two campaigns, Matt, in Europe have ended at this stage against, of course, Barcelona and Real Madrid, but never rule out the Parisians and their famous mental strength in this competition. <laughs> I make United favourites for this. You do? Yeah. Michael?
2: No, PSG. Really? Se-
0: second leg, yeah. On, on what basis?
2: Um, I think in the second leg, if they have uh, players back, that they'll be a stronger side than Manchester United. I'm still slightly unconvinced by United defensively. I think they are conceding chances in the Premier League. They've played relatively weak teams um, with weak forwards, but I think if PSG get the opportunities, they'll probably punish them.
0: Do you have any kind of stat regarding uh, Man United's involvement in European competition against French sides?
2: Uh, funny you should say that. They've played seven times against French opposition in the knockout stages. They've gone through six times. The only exception was against Monaco in 1998 uh-huh. when United's goal scorer was Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Well, there you go. Uh, curiously, though, They've never played Paris
0: Saint-Germain before.
2: Yeah, that's unusual, and that's quite a nice thing because I feel like the Champions League knockout stages, we do get a lot of repeat games these days. So Spurs, to have Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So to have a new... Even Ajax, Real Madrid as well, they've played each other a few times recently. So to have a brand new tie is is exciting.
0: Uh, also this week, you've got Roma Porto. Porto, by the way, who drew 1-1 at Morirense coming into this weekend, and a one-point clear of Benfica, who scored, do you know how many goals this weekend? Is it nine? Ten. Uh. They got to double. That's the holy grail, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, like Sunday, I think half the viewers would have been going, oh, all right, it was 4-0 up after half an hour. We've got to make double figures. It so rarely happens. Benfica did that. And they, they of course, have that Europa League clash with Galatasaray. Roma, who were taking on Porto, had a 3-0 win away at Chievo, part of that group chasing the top four in the other game midweek which is on Wednesday is Ajax against Real Madrid this does look intriguing doesn't it Michael?
2: it does Ajax haven't been in great form um, in the last month or so it should be said but Real Madrid not the Real Madrid of old I mean, I've never been that convinced by them in this incredible run of Champions League victories, but they did have Cristiano Ronaldo getting them out of trouble. So I think there's probably more chance that they'll slip up here than in previous years. Really? They
0: come into this in in some form. As you mentioned, Ajax not so much. They've lost their last two. Real Madrid, meanwhile, beating Atletico Madrid 3-1 at the Wanda Metropolitana uh, this this weekend. Gareth Bale with his 100th goal for Real Madrid in that game. Mm. Saluting the Atletico Madrid fans as he celebrated as well. Oh, did he? Cheeky. Right. We'll uh, we'll have reaction anyway to all the midweek European games in Thursday's Totally Football Show.
4: I'm Roddy Giggs, and I want to talk to you about loyalty. I've always lived a loyal life, always drinking the same pub. Hey, what is
5: you're doing? you mate? Bitter?
4: Not anymore, Pam. Champagne, please. Never miss a training session in my life. Always go to the same gym. Come on, Rod, think of someone that makes you angry. No one comes to mind. Problem is, loyalty gets you nowhere. Live for rewards instead. That's why I'm Paddy's Rewards Club ambassador. Thanks, Paddy. Paddy Powers Rewards Club. Loyalty is dead. Live for rewards.
5: On Spotify, smart speaker, and podcast platforms everywhere. This is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media.
0: Arsenal did an away game and a win uh, this weekend, Matt. You did commentary on this?
1: I did, yeah. It was um, almost your archetypal game of two halves. Arsenal Mm. cruising in the first half. Um, They were away at Huddersfield. Away at Huddersfield, yeah. yeah. No Aubameyang. Um, So Lacazette was kind of up there on his own. Mkhitaryan making his first appearance of 2019 um, looked a bit below par. Um, But after... Michael uh, pointed him out last week uh, kept a, a closer eye than normal on Ainsley Maitland Niles I thought he was absolutely fantastic oh, yeah. I mean he wasn't particularly up against much but going forward he was he was brilliant set up the second goal but then second half they just kind of switched off really and, and Huddersfield I was maybe a bit mean on them last week saying they might not get another point they managed to get a goal in this game Well, they,
0: it was kind of scored for them yes
1: it was but it didn't stop the supporters chanting we've scored a goal with great gusto which right. was uh, always quite nice to see so And three Arsenal players combined for that goal, wasn't it? Bizarre, really Uh, weird. I I, I do uh, like Jan Sievert uh, referring to Arsenal as London
3: Arsenal as well. There's uh, something quite sweet about that. He's been playing Pez, hasn't he? From like 1996. Continentals
0: with the quaint continental ways. Elsewhere, the snake derby turned out to be every bit as exciting uh, and emotional as expected. Uh, We'd been discussing with Emma Saunders on Thursday the build-up and what the PA would be putting out to torment Marco Silva with and uh, the playlist there wasn't too much Snake in there but what there was was Tempted by Squeeze Lying Eyes You Give Love a Bad Name You Can Go Your Own Way oh, Good Stuff uh, Good Riddance by Green Day and <laughs> C- Crimea River Why are they so bothered?
1: I've got that exact note Ian they've got a better manager now what's the if if you're an adult bringing an inflatable snake to a football match, That's you've got some that was problems. Great,
0: and people were dressed up in kind of furry snake outfits. I like it. They it turns won. Into a bit of occasion.
1: In every sense, what have won from that? Did
0: so. you, I mean, in terms of PA trolling, Man City, of course, on Sunday, then they did. Chelsea's victory on one step beyond. Yeah, so they didn't get right to the
1: end of it. Uh, it got pulled, and they they quickly uh, apologized for it. But did yeah. they actually
0: apologize yeah. for it? Uh, they, like they publicly, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> did they? No, sorry. Did they genuinely publicly apologize for playing a madness song? Yeah,
1: they put something on social media, I think, didn't they?
0: For for for, for that, you know, kind but of. If you're going to troll somebody, troll them. I mean, also they should have played Embarrassment, surely
2: not. <laughs> if you've done go it down. before, actually, 2012, I think they did the exact same thing.
0: Yeah. Oh well, yeah. There you go. Anyway, uh, as you say, Watford apparently now have a better manager, certainly one who's making a better job of managing Watford, and they had a 1-0 win, which was Everton's third defeat in a row. Also for the crowd's delight, Richarlison got subbed off, Sigurdsson didn't do anything, and ooh, Kurt Zuma got sent off for two cautions after the final whistle.
1: Yeah, he ran over to the referee and uh, had a go at him and, it, and it didn't take too kindly to it. They did hit the woodwork twice, Everton. They're maybe a little bit unlucky not to get something from the game.
2: It's worth pointing out as well that the reason they won this game was uh, Javi Gracia made a good half time switch. Ah. Brought on um, Andre Gray, isn't it? Mm. There's so many Gray, I always get Grays mixed up. He brought on what
0: Andre. Damari Gray. Damari
2: Gray. I always call him Julian Gray as well. He's like 15 years in the Dorian past. Dorian Gray? Never gone for that. But Light maybe. Gray. Eddie Gray, Andy Gray. Yeah. Oh, Art yeah, Gray. Yeah. Anyway, he brought on Andre Gray and changed the system at half time, and that seemed to spur Watford forward. So, you know, with all the fuss about Silver, for him to actually get out, out tacticked, as Allardyce would say, um, yeah, but uh, but a nice spin on it for Watford.
0: Some talk that Everton might be looking at a certain Marcelo Bielsa as a replacement, <laughs> but yeah, people say the strangest things. Really, uh, we mentioned Huddersfield, who are still stuck on eleven, a derby-esque eleven points. Just above them, Fulham are seven points from safety. Beyond that, you've essentially got six teams separated by three points, trying to avoid being the, the other team to go down. It's looking awfully tight. Saints are in the, the other hot spot, and they're level with Newcastle, but Newcastle ahead on goal difference. Uh, Cardiff, who just beaten Saints, are one point better off, and then two above them, you've got three teams. Brighton, who are you know, hastening down the table to join in the fun, uh, level now with Palace and Burnley, who beat the Seagulls three one at the Amex. Boy, this was a bit. I mean, I know Burnley have been in terrific form, but I didn't see this one coming.
2: Well, I didn't expect four goals in the game to start with. I would have had that down <laughs> yeah. as a nil nil. Um, yeah, I mean, Brighton are in, are in trouble. I mean, I think Matt said uh, last week that they were, you know, on a poor run of form, but they had winnable games coming up. But to, to lose this one, they're, they're right back in it now.
3: Mm. That's a statement result, really, isn't it? In terms of. Increasing relegation worries when you're losing to one of your rivals 3-1 at home. Burnley are actually on their longest unbeaten run in the Premier League of seven matches. So even their fantastic form of last year didn't reach these heights. In are they terms second of the run. in the form table right now? Possibly, I know that. Only yeah. Man United only Man United are on a longer unbeaten run. Uh, yeah, but imagine uh, Tottenham have been pretty excellent yeah. of late, haven't they? Um, but yeah, in terms of Burnley, they're still only three points above the relegation zone, That's which shows you just how competitive. Uh, It's becoming now down the bottom and and even teams like Leicester and Bournemouth, I don't think they're completely safe yet. Were Brighton though really unlucky in
0: this, in that they should have been given a penalty and in the play which then developed from that penalty, which wasn't blown for, Burnley went up the other end and got themselves a penalty?
2: Yeah, I think that was a wrong decision but they were already 2-0 down at that point.
0: Stuart Atwell's been a terrible
1: referee for, for well over a decade, but, but he still gets Premier League games. So, Brighton, big problem for them. Their recruitment is dreadful, Re- really poor. You know, £9 million on Bernardo, not in the team. Jan Abash, £17 million, no goals. Andanez looks OK at times. They bought Jan Malakar and Christian Balutar in January. Um, just They just sign players without Premier League experience and, and who aren't who are kind of mid-ranking players at mid-ranking European teams. And they they spread their resources too thinly rather than, you know, in people like that hasn't added anything since they come in. They're still looking to Glenn Murray for goals. Uh, Duffy and Dunk, players that they had in the Championship, still two of the most important players in their team. They seem to have spent a lot of money and not spent it well. And, And it was kind of highlighted in this game, when you look at Sean Dyche, who deserves a lot of credit for turning Burnley around because he gets very little backing in in the transfer market you think of who you know they bought in Peter Crouch on deadline day who else mm-hmm. they bring in this summer Ben Gibson Joe Hart <laughs> well quite uh, so yeah that, that was I thought that was really marks in this game that, yeah. just, just the fact that they haven't they haven't bought well
0: Brian. oh here comes Ian Irving
3: yeah before the game against Southampton uh, before this Brighton game Burnley had not actually received a penalty in the Premier League for yep. sixty eight matches mm-hmm. which was the third longest run and now they've got two in two games like London buses that's so true isn't it yeah
0: but what do people outside yeah. of London like yourself Ian say about things that don't often happen but when they do suddenly you get a run of them like buses just leave out the just London buses see I think yeah.
1: that is an outsider London phrase because actually London buses are pretty frequent you know, if you live here there's there's always a bus coming around the corner
2: on the subject of buses um on Saturday I was at the four six five derby which is Dorking against Kingstonian, Dorking and Kingston, either sides of the 465 bus route. And that bus route is the London bus route that goes the furthest outside London. Wow,
0: to Dorking, essentially.
2: Yep. And how far is Dorking from London? It's got to be, what, 30 miles, is it? Or something? Not quite that far, but it's very, it's very rural. It's near um, Box Hill, famous for the oh, cycling. Cycling, yeah. yeah.
0: And uh, was the bus decked out in Kingstonian colours with the. Uh... Not particularly, no, but it's only
2: every half hour, so you wouldn't usually get that. You know, few come along at once. They're very, very rigid. Yeah, that wouldn't,
0: yeah. Mm. Okay, more like kind of Chelsea goals away from home, or yeah, yeah,
2: essentially.
0: Uh, we also mentioned the fact the Saints had dropped back into the bottom three. That's because Cardiff beat them 2-1 uh, in Cardiff, and Saints thought they'd equalise. Ralph Hartson huttle celebrating their 91st minute equaliser, and then bam, Neil Warnock comes right back and. He looked crushed Hurtle,
1: the... yeah. didn't he, in his in his post match. If we if we don't stop conceding we've got no chance of staying up. I mean it's a really, really poor defeat. Um Cardiff though. What, back to back wins, all of us a sudden yeah. looking looking pretty decent. I enjoyed Neil Warnock putting his lip balm on on the touchline. <laughs> oh, I missed that. Yeah, yeah. Just quite sweet, old man putting some lip balm on. I, it, I think you'd deserved... gotta stop
0: you there. Old man yes, yeah. sweet no. <laughs> You're true, yeah. I mean maybe maybe the lip balm was sweet. Perhaps it's so. not the lips. Uh, Paul McIntosh asking, with uh, Arsenal, Man United, and Spurs coming up in the next four weeks, is there a danger that Southampton are drifting back into serious trouble? I think they've already drifted. Or are they still in the too-good-to-go-down category? Saints
3: worry about them definitely not too good to go down no no and, and obviously all the bounce and the positivity and everything else that's brought with Haas and Hootl's appointment the improvement in the team and they're still in the relegation zone or they've fallen back into it so yeah concern deepens light with Brighton if you're losing those type of matches against your rivals at home at this stage of the season that has to be a, a real serious concern
2: I think the points total required to stay up much, might be a little bit higher than it has been in recent years. I mean, usually it's been about 31, 32 points. Mm. It's been it used enough. to be about 38, didn't it? Kind of. That was always a slight myth. But oh, yeah, But yeah, it's, it's closer to the kind of point per game mark now. It's 24 points at the moment from... Well, Southampton played 26 games, Newcastle played 25. So I, I do think that those sides are all... In previous seasons, they might be too good to go down. But mm. this, in this season, maybe not.
0: Wow. It's going to be a fascinating part of this end of season. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, after which, listener, we're back with some other pretty scintillating facts and figures about the weekend, not least that bonkers match at Villa Park on Friday. Matt, give us some good news. Yeah, the good
1: news is that Haki Malarabi, uh, the Bahrainian citizen who we spoke about uh, last week, whose detention in Thailand had uh, sparked this outcry, well, he's he's free Bahrain have withdrawn their extradition request uh, for him. We spoke, didn't we, about Craig Foster, the mm. uh, the Aussie former footballer who's played such a big part in this. He tweeted this this morning, we understand uh, that the government and court has ruled to release Hakim. My thanks to the wonderful people of Thailand for your support, etc., and so on. Uh, And he's later uh, added to that. Flying to Melbourne to see everybody close to Hakim. Welcome him tomorrow. This is a significant win for humanity. People everywhere standing up for good, pushing back against regimes who flout international law for human rights gives us hope to help others everywhere. So, yeah. Good good news that and so yeah, that as he says, I mean well done him for one thing, Craig yeah. Foster.
0: Now let's talk about the championship where everything, literally everything happened. You were all over on on Friday, that extraordinary match of Villa Park as Aston Villa went 3-0 down against Sheffield United. What extraordinary scenes. Yeah, it was the most championship of championship games. Uh, the
1: Sheffield United go 3-0 up. Billy Sharp Patrick, uh, very reminiscent of a hat-trick that Dirk Cout got, I think, against Man United a few years back, i.e. they were all tapped in from about a yard out. Uh, one of them shouldn't have been given because the goalie had his hands on the ball. Uh, 82nd minute, bear in mind I'm doing the highlights to be broadcast on the Aston Villa website, so it's a tough sell at this point. 82nd minute, uh, face slashings Tyrone Mings makes it 3-1. Then Tammy Abraham uh, makes it 3-2. So him and Billy Sharp both onto 20 goals each in the championship. And Andre Green, 90 plus 4, brings it back to 3-3. Sheffield United would have gone top of the championship if they'd won uh, that game. So Villa... Uh, they had that 5 all with Forrest earlier in the season at Villa Park. 3-3 here. They've had some absolutely bonkers game. but But the big news to come out in the aftermath of that... Mm-hmm. Uh, we went into great detail on this on the Totally Football League show a couple of weeks ago when uh, Billy Sharp scored at Norwich and he pulled uh, a sock from his jock strap and put it in the mouth of a teammate in celebration in, uh, in tribute to wrestler Mick Mankind Foley and his former Mr Socko move. Uh, Foley picked up on this on Twitter and he will be going to the Sheffield United home game against Brentford next month as the guest of Billy Sharp.
0: I don't want to come over all health and safety but he takes a sock from his jock strap and places it in the mouth of a teammate. Of a
1: teammate. Yeah, the teammate apparently was a willing participant in that. It's um, it's pretty disgusting.
2: Wow. I say you say that was the most championship game ever. Oh my PR. goodness, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> and, and then, <laughs> then <laughs> road. Q, QPR. QPR and Birmingham collectively
1: say hold my beers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Q- Birmingham go 4-0 up at QPR. Uh QPR get it back to 3-4, get a penalty in stoppage time, only
3: for Naki Wells to miss it. So it finished 4-3, And the penalty should have been retaken as well because there was about three or four Birmingham players badly encroaching. One of them was almost stood next to Naki Wells as he took the penalty. Encroaching. What a great word that is. Um,
0: And another very championship game was surely the Old Farm Derby where you had... uh, It's been called a brawl, but it wasn't really. It was
1: very, very strange because... Uh, somebody on the Norwich staff said something that Paul Lambert didn't take kindly to. Obviously, Paul Lambert now in charge of Ipswich, formerly in charge of Norwich. Uh, Lambert with a kind of Roy Keane, I'll see you out there point uh, at this chap um, from the from the Norwich staff. They both get sent off, but the police actually have to restrain Lambert from, from having a go at this fella. Mm. The argument continues as they both go down the tunnel. Norwich end up winning 3-0. Um, yeah, not, not a happy return.
0: Caroline Barker has returned to the Totally Football League show so Tuesday she and the boys will be bringing you all the laces on those stories and others like for example Paul Scholes being confirmed as Oldham's new manager so Ridiculous, yeah You're not happy Matt?
1: Well I can't see how you can own 10% of one football club in the
3: division below the one that you're going to manage and that be okay
0: Yeah that is strange how
3: long until he asks the crowd for a pair of size eights and pulls them on for the second half to turn things around? I can't imagine how that's going to go for Paul, to be honest. He, he um, He's done a little bit of coaching at United, and by all accounts, I don't think he particularly enjoyed it. So um, he steps away from it fairly quickly after starting. And, and I don't know, just a player of that quality managing... Managing players of a very different quality. It'd be interesting to see how how that that actually goes. How's
0: Saul Campbell getting on after his fine start with Macclesfield on on a similar note? Mm. Still doing
1: pretty well. I mean, they were in a perilous position when he took over and they've got a real chance of staying up now. They drew 3-3 at the weekend, but he's made a a big difference. He's got Andy Cole there training the strikers a couple of days a week.
0: Nice. Brilliant. Anyway, more of that kind of thing in the Totally Football League show. On Wednesday, we'll be doing a new golazzo. There's one out at the moment, well, there's loads of them out at the moment, but the last one we did was all about a Luciano Moggi which proved a particularly rich and fecund uh, source of material. And Wednesday, we'll be going again. I think we might be talking about Ali del Piero, and also what happened at the weekend, where basically the five teams chasing the two Champions League spots that are not occupied by Juve and Napoli all won Maybe mention actually the fact that uh, Milan had a 3-0 win against Cali, which wasn't that big a surprise, but it did enable Christophe Piontek to continue his scoring run. He's now got four goals in four games since joining the Rossoneri, but also Paqueta, uh, the the Brazilian signing, January signing, got uh, his first goal for the club. It was a brilliant goal as well, and then basically uh, did a little kind of tribute to the uh, ten youngsters who perished in the Flamengo fire, in Rio de Janeiro on Friday, the fire that broke out, um, and uh, ten, 10 of the young players who were, were caught, who were asleep at the time, uh, sadly perished. And uh, that was his tribute uh, amongst the many that have been made by the world of football over the last couple of days. Now, we've almost come to the end of today's show. Uh, we've got one or two more questions in a second or two. But first of all, though, let's get uh, the odds on what's awaiting us in the next few days in football. Pretty Ben speaking to Paddy Power.
5: Thank you very much, Jim It's the part you've all been waiting for, listeners. Lee Price from Paddy Power on the line. Lee, let's talk about the two big European games coming up this week. Man U versus PSG. What are the numbers here?
6: Yeah, no Neymar, no Cavani, no chance for PSG. We make Man United the favourites here, 13-10. The French champions, 21-10. to The draws, 12-5. And if you do fancy Ole to win again, it's money back as a free bet of United win. Selected markets only, pretty much singles only, max free bet £10, TNC supply.
5: All right, and what are your guys saying when it comes to Spurs versus Dortmund?
6: Well, Ben, I thought this would be tight too, but actually, it isn't really. Spurs are five to four, Dortmund two to one. The draws twenty-three to ten. As for the two main men, Son is twenty-three to ten to score anytime. Sancho eleven to four. As for first goal scorer, we favour Son. It's nine to two. He opens the scoring.
5: Back to the Premier League briefly. Cardiff, they're doing rather well. All of a sudden, can
6: they stay up? Mixed messages to this one. It's odds on Cardiff stay up at 10 to 11, but it's also odds on they go down at 5 to 6. They remain favourites for that final relegation spot. This one's going down to the wire, we think.
0: You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. Well, prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's 18 plus only. Be org And when the fun stops, stop. Luke Cooper says one for the end of the pod as it's got nothing to do with football. Can Matt Davis-Adams... Reveal any details about the next season of the Parts Unknown podcast? I hope," says Luke, "that the pod's still around in thirty years, so Matt and Co can look back at a long line of quality Saudi Arabian PPVs. What's that about?
1: Uh, WWE has a rather murky deal with Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. like the Copper Italia kind of thing, which is kind of stinky. But uh, the, the the power brokers here at Muddy Knees Media have, have dangled the brass ring in front of us as to uh, as hopefully getting another run. I can't say any more than that about it. Other than that, we are we are hopeful that will will be given given a second series.
0: Please seen... give us a second series. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen Have you seen the the, the film Fighting With My Family? That I haven't seen out? it yet but
1: I'm looking right. forward to it. Carl Anker of this parish went to the premiere last week and said uh, in spite of himself he enjoyed it because it's a bit okay. silly apparently. It's uh, obviously Dwayne The Rock Johnson had a big hand in that. It's uh, based on a Channel 4 documentary which aired a couple of years ago about the Knight family, uh, the daughter of whom Paige had a, a brief but good run with WWE until she suffered a serious neck injury a couple of years ago oh, spoiler Can't alert. Anymore. Um, I don't think that'll actually be included in the film because oh, really? it's, it's about the fact that her and her brother were both given tryouts by WWE but only she made it uh, but their parents own a wrestling promotion in Norwich which Grant Holt, the Norwich, former right. Norwich City striker now, will had, be wrestling for next yeah, year Yeah,
0: that's so exciting because I, I was working with Grant recently at um, Harrogate and uh, he was explaining uh, about how that all came about I can't remember what he said, though. <laughs> but he was talking about his love of wrestling and the fact that he's won the only battle he's taken part in so far, but he says that there are more on the way.
1: Yeah, it was a battle royal, I believe, that he won. Um, he, he was in a track seat for it, which is not a great look for a wrestler. That did work for The Rock in, in 1999 at the Royal Rumble, as you remember. Of course. With the aforementioned Mick Foley in, uh, in that brutal I quit match. Did he have a signature move, Grant Holt? Grant Holt, I don't think he has one yet, but you'd oh. hope that it was kind of football-adjacent. Finish. Uh, yeah, time. yeah. The yeah. the lethal finish. Or well, if you like do that. get
0: that second series, we'll have to see if we can get Grant to to, to join you because he he seemed to be eager, incredibly so, to discuss wrestling. Yeah, Christian Rather Fox Asmir so bezovich right Troy Deeney, all big wrestling fans. Are they? Yeah. Somehow, I'm not surprised. <laughs> uh, we have another show coming up on Thursday, Michael. It's with Rafa, Jules again, and Horncastle too. Of course, there'll be the Champions League in the meantime. Which game are you most looking
2: forward to? I experiment Real Madrid could be interesting. Yeah,
0: certainly could. All right. Well, let's hope it proves so, and our subsequent discussion thereof similarly. Uh, Ian, do you have a favourite you're looking
3: forward to? United PSG. It's not just Ollie who's got goosebumps. Has he got goosebumps? That's what he said. Oh, okay. Whether he was telling the truth or not, I mean, there was oh. no reason to question him at that point. Absolutely not. Just a nice quote. That's the kind of face that you have to trust, really. I guess so, yeah. yeah, nice. yeah. All right. He was called the baby-faced assassin as a player, James, so don't make That's that mistake. True. That's true. He also said he had a hairdryer in his pocket at the first press conference, but mm-hmm. didn't look like it from afar. <laughs> <laughs> I thought
0: he was just pleased to see you. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, many thanks then, Ian, for being with us today, and Matt and Michael. Listener will be back on Thursday.
5: Do join us then and have a super time in the meanwhile. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and don't forget to check out our other football podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats.